We are starting a, a, a short look this fall. We're going to spend three weeks talking about work. And, um, and this isn't just, when we say work, we're not just talking about the workplace uh, in, the, in the sense of where you may pick up a paycheck. We're actually talking about the, the tasks, the work that, that, that you do. Um, whether you're, you're compensated for it financially or not, every one of us has work that we do. And, and so that's what we're going to be dealing with for the next few weeks. And, and I wanted to start this morning by, um, by sharing uh, just something about my father. Um, my, I had a great dad. Um, he, he raised me well. Um, he loved me. And uh, he was good at a lot of things. He was a great storyteller. Um, he just did an awesome job of, of getting, people, um, getting people wrapped up in a story and then, and then leading them to some sort of great, uh, great finish and, and telling jokes and different things. Um, my dad was, was a loving husband. He loved my mom a lot, and, and it came through all the time, and, and we saw that in him. And he sacrificed. My dad was a sacrificial person. Um, but I, I do need to say one thing about my dad, and, and mom listens to these online, so I'm sorry, mom. But dad was not great at the motivational like speech, the pep talk. He just didn't, he didn't, he didn't excel in that area. He had so many other strengths. But, but the, the pep talk was not one of his strengths. And, and he, there were times where I was down or I, I was facing something difficult. And, and typically, you know, dad's, dad's approach to it was kind of like, well, get up and do it again or, or, you know, rub some dirt in it. I don't care if it hurts. Um, it was that kind of things. And, and, um, and I remember uh, one time in particular, um, I was, I remember vividly I was 16 years old. And, uh, and I, I take it back, I was almost 16 years old. And it was my dad's ambition that the day I turned 16, I was going to go get a job. And, um, and so he was, he, was, he was good at getting me out of the house and doing the things that I needed to do, um, even if it wasn't necessarily through, like, internal motivation. Um, so, so about a week before I turned 16, he sent me to the local mall, and I just started grabbing applications from every place that, you know, would, would give one to me. And... Um, and I, I started work the day of my 16th, on my 16th birthday, I started work at the original cookie company, okay? You know those places in the mall? I was, I was a cookie artist. Um, they, that's actually what they called us. You could get a cookie, and I could put, like, happy birthday Sally on that cookie for you. If you wanted a picture, there were, you know, simple pictures. I could personally put on that cookie for you. But I have to tell you, I really didn't like that first job. Um, it was, I mean, admittedly, the, the fringe benefit of all the cookies you can eat was kind of nice, um, but I'm paying for it now later in life. Um, but, but, uh, but it just, you know, it was, it was part-time, like, like it's, it's food service, and it just, it didn't, it didn't make my soul sing with, you know, purpose and meaning. And, and I remember at one point in time saying to my dad, I, you know, I'd like to quit this job. And uh, I, I kind of got the silence um, and, uh, and he said, you know, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I was kind of hoping nothing. And he said, son, this is the pep talk. Son, you're going to be working for the rest of your life. Now get your polo on and your apron and get over there to the original cookie company and go to work. That was his pep talk. And doggone it if he wasn't right, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to be working the rest of my life. Work is a huge part of, of our lives. Whether you work in the home, out of the home, in the marketplace, or, or, or in, the, in the public sector somewhere, it, it, work is, it, is an enormous, it takes up an enormous amount of our life. 
And so just, you know, some of you were promised no math, but, but I'm going to give you this quick look, okay? Let's just say that you're extremely fortunate and you, you get to work for 40 years, only 40, okay? So sometimes shortly after your education finishes, you go to work. And again, let's just say that you're fortunate to work a job that, that, that gives you four weeks of vacation every year. You're supposed to laugh at that, right? Okay, so you're fortunate enough that you have a job that, that, where you work 48 weeks a year. And again, you're also fortunate enough that in those 48 weeks, you actually only work 40 hours per week. This is if, if, and if, okay? But if that's the case, you're going to work nearly 80,000 hours in your life. 80,000 hours. Next to sleeping, you won't do anything in your life as much as you do your work. If you're a, if you're a parent who, who has children and, and, and you work to raise your children, the time with your children is nearly 150,000 hours. That's if they leave your home and never come back when they hit college. <laughs> work is a part of life. And it's, we call it work for a reason, right? We struggle with it, and we wrestle with it, and we'd rather not do it. We long for a day where we can stop and do something else. But the fact of the matter is, it's, it's here to stay. And it's not only here to stay for just because... Um, it's not only here to stay just because... Sorry. Just because we have... Um, we, we need money or because we need to provide services, or it's here to stay because God designed it. So to start this whole series, I want you in your Bible, I'd like for you to go to Genesis chapter 1. Chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, it's, this one's easy to find. Okay, first page, which is probably a story if you've been around the church that you've read, that you know. But there's something in here I think that's extremely overlooked in Genesis chapter 1, and actually the first few verses of Genesis 2. And I, I want to start by saying this. Um, you, you, if, if you didn't know this, um, those, the chapters in the Bible weren't there in the original. Those were put there in, in order to help us find different places more quickly. And, and we owe a debt of gratitude to the monk who did that for us. He went through the Bible page by page and broke it into sections for us so that we can find things. They weren't there originally. And um, I've just given him kind words, and now I'm going to say that he didn't always do such a great job, and we're sort of stuck with his divisions, and I would say probably the worst chapter division in all of the Bible might be the first chapter division, because in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you have three verses at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2 that really are a part of Genesis chapter 1 and the days of creation. And so what I'd actually like you to do, if you're there, and, and I've got some of these on the slides, but you'll need your text today if you've got it, because we're going to read through, through the sections, but, but Genesis chapter 2 is the seventh day of the creation week. It's the seventh day of the creation week. And so um, we, we find this seventh day, and it, it's where the Jewish idea of Sabbath comes from, this seventh day rest. And it says this, this is actually part of the, of the first chapter. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
You see, the problem with, with sectioning off these first few verses of chapter 2 and not including them in chapter 1 and the ideas of chapter 1 is that it actually may, may, we may not recognize what's happening in, in Genesis chapter 1 that the author here is telling us Genesis 1 is the work of creation. This is the work that God does. And so God, as the original worker, this is an idea that when we begin to talk about work, we want to get into. We want to understand what's happening. So if you have your Bible, would you go to Genesis chapter 1, that very first page of the Scriptures? And I want to read through this, at least to a point. Genesis chapter 1, and it starts with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Let's pause there. There's so much here, right? There's so much here. God sets out to, to create where there is nothing. He begins. In the beginning, he creates the heavens and the earth. But there's also a structure to Genesis 1. 
And there's something in there that those first few verses of Genesis 2, the work of God, this is his work. This is what God does when he goes to work. And what I'd like to do is I want to look at how this is put together because we're going to find something in the way that it's put together that tells us what it is that God does when he goes to work. So take a look at, at verse 2, actually, and it's up here. But, but it says in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Do you notice these phrases? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And something I want to point out here is that, that before God said that it was good in these acts of creation, we have some conditions that are in place. And these conditions are things that we would say are not good. So before God goes to work, there's certain things that are true. Or we could say that without God's work, certain things are true. And these, the three things that are pointed out here is that the, there's three conditions before God goes to work. And the first condition is that without God, there's chaos. It says that it was without form. That there was stuff, but there was no order to it. It was chaotic. It was without form. And the second thing that it says there is that it was, it was empty. There was emptiness or it was void. That there was stuff, but it was empty. And then that last thing it says is that there, there was darkness. So we could say, and I think rightly we could say, that what we find is that when God goes to work, he goes to work to do something about these three conditions. He's working to do something about chaos He's working to do something about emptiness, and he's working to do something about darkness. And I think the rest of the passage plays that out, because what's the very first thing that God does? He says, let there be light, right? You see, the first thing that God did in, in creation was he addressed the darkness. Darkness is not the, the right condition. Darkness is not where we ought to live. And in fact, in John chapter 1, when John introduces Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he says that he's the light of the world. There is no darkness in him. And in Revelation, at the end, in the new kingdom, it says there is no sun, nor moon, nor stars, because God is there and he is the light. You see, God is light, and so he brings light to dark places. Now, there's a whole sermon in that but it's for another Sunday. Because what I want to do is I want to look at the other two conditions, and I want you to see what happens here in Genesis 1. The way that this is structured, it's actually structured um, in, a, in a poetic fashion. It's not a rhyming of sounds like we think of poetry. It's a rhyming of ideas. And you have days that are put together here in, in, in Genesis chapter 1. And you can see days 1, 2, and 3 on the left and 4, 5, and 6 on the right. And here's what happens. Notice this structure. The first thing that God does on day one is that he, takes, he separates the light from the dark. Okay? He, doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't necessarily create anything materially new, but it says he separates the light from the dark. And the second thing he does on, on day two, when day one is finished, it says he takes the waters and he separates water from water. He creates an expanse between the waters above and the waters below. So there's water in the sky and there's water on the earth. And that's day two. And on day three, he gathers the dry land together. From amongst the water, 
he gathers the dry land and he puts it in one place. And so we have these three things that happen where in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth and then he, he does this work that isn't necessarily creating something new, but it's taking what's there, the material that's there, and he does something with it. But then day four hits, and notice the connection. Day four is connected to day one in that you have light and dark, but now we have light sources. The sun, the moon, the stars, this is where the light is coming from. And on day five, he puts birds in the sky. It even goes back to that language of expanse. He puts birds up in the expanse in the sky, and he puts fish in the waters below. And it says they were swarming in the sky and in the water. It wasn't just like a bird here and a bird there, but but it was just a swarm of birds and of fish. And then you get vegetation, which is actually the end of day three. It's connected to dry land. But you get, you get the land, and on the land he puts animals and ultimately humanity. And you have these things that are put side by side in the structure of Genesis chapter 1. And smarter people than I have noticed that on that left-hand side, days 1, 2, 3, he does forming things. That what God does on days 1, 2, and 3 is he takes the material that's there that is in chaos... And he forms it. He shapes it. He makes it so that the the conditions that are necessary for flourishing or swarming or teeming that it's going to come, the blessing of the the rest of the earth, that the conditions are right. The light that's necessary is there. The water, the atmosphere that's necessary is there. He forms it. The dry land is in place. It's there. He's forming on on those first three days. And on days four, five, and six, he then fills, right? He puts something in its place, something that didn't exist before, and he calls it into existence, and he puts it there. He fills it. And so if, if the three conditions that exist before God goes to work or when God hasn't gone to work, if those conditions are chaos and emptiness and darkness, what we find about God in Genesis chapter 1 is this. He brings order to chaos. He fills up emptiness, and he brings light to darkness. Now, if we could just stop and rest on that for a minute. What is it that God does? What is the work of God? His work is to make order where there is chaos. Chaos is not the ultimate end. It doesn't win, ultimately. He takes what is empty. He takes things that are meaningless and pointless, and he fills them. He fills them up. He gives them purpose. He gives them meaning. And ultimately, he opens eyes and and hearts and souls. He brings light to dark places so that we're not alone. We're not left wondering and wandering and, 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 and in the dark. He brings light to darkness. Well, this is what God does. But Genesis 1 isn't finished. So let's pick up here 
in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, verse 26. 126. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day." So before God rests, and I apologize, my slide says 228. I didn't catch that. It's chapter 1, verse 28. Before God rests, he puts the capstone on his creation. He puts the capstone on his creation, the last piece to fill creation. And it starts as this sort of like internal dialogue. He says, let us make man in our image. God, from the beginning, God is multiple God is in relationship. God is speaking to another. And he says, let us make man in our image. And so he does in verse 27. But in verse 28, do you notice what's there? Look at what happens. Because he doesn't just make us and wind us up and push us out. He says these things. He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Does this sound familiar? So God, God goes to work, and his work is the work of forming and filling. He takes the chaos, and he makes order of it. He takes something that's empty, and he fills it. And then at the, at the end of that work, he creates us. He creates humanity. It says there in the text, he creates man and woman. And then he gives something to us. He gives us work. But it's not just any work. He gives us his work. Do you see it? He says, fill the earth. Well, whose job had that been? But it was God's. He says, subdue. Have dominion. You are now in charge of the chaos. You are now my agent for doing something about the chaos in this world. It's you. It's yours. This is what it means to be made in God's image. If we go directly to the text and ask the question, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, what do we learn in Genesis chapter 1? Who is this God? He's a former and a filler, and he brings light to darkness. And then when we're made in his image, the first two things he says about it are this. You go fill the earth. You go make sense of the chaos. You subdue it. And so we, when we think about work and when we wrestle with what is, what is work, where does it come from? 
we need to understand a few principles here. And the first thing is this, that to be made in God's image means that we now form and fill. We are continuing the work of God that was begun in creation. Your work, and this is, I, what is it that you do? Again, we're not talking about just what you do for a paycheck. It includes that, certainly. But what is it that you do? What are you tasked with? It's the work of forming and filling. Somewhere in your work is the work of taking something that without your hands, without your handiwork, it would be chaotic. And it's your job, you're tasked with forming it, with bringing order to it, with making sense of it, with subduing it in a way. That's what you do. And in another sense, you fill. It's your job. You fill the lives of the children that live in your home. You fill the marketplace with, hopefully, with something that's necessary and needed and helps others flourish. You fill minds and classrooms with knowledge and opportunities. This is what we do when we work. We form and we fill, and we do it because we reflect God's image. We can't help ourselves. I would say that, the person, that even the person who, who denies God and neglects God, they cannot effectively do their work. If they're good at what they do, it's because they're forming and filling. The fact that they're forming and filling is evidence that God's image is in them, that they're reflecting their creator. Now, there's this issue of light and dark, and this is the truth. We're going to say more about this in this series. But the truth is this. You can form and fill towards darkness. We can form and fill apart from God. We can be extremely orderly, and we can fill up what's empty in ways that only promote and produce darkness. Without Christ, without the faith that's necessary to depend on him, we can do that. But, but, if we take God seriously, if we acknowledge his work and our role as those made in his image to work as he worked, we work in the light. When God says something about our work, we take it seriously. When he tells us that the, that the person we're working with or the person we're working for is more important than the product itself, we believe him. When he says that greed is a destructive motivation for our work, we take that seriously. When he says that, that there are no shortcuts, that cheating and lying are always wrong, even when they get us ahead in business or in our education, we take that seriously. And we work in the light. We form and fill to bring light to dark places, to take Christ where he isn't at present. And this is the mission for the, for the follower of Christ when we look at, at, at our work. To bring it into the lives of those around us. To help them flourish. But we work. We work. And our work is forming and filling. The second thing we pick up is that this means that all of our work, all of it, is God-ordained. It reflects his character. See, I mentioned 
nearly 80,000 hours if you're, if, if you're fortunate enough to only put in those 40 years and 40 hours and 48 weeks. Those 80,000 hours. We have this tendency to believe. We have this tendency to believe that somehow like that's a portion of my life and my family's a portion of my life and, and my, my relationship with my local community of believers, my church is a part of my life and then I've got you know, just my friendships in my life and that, that, that uh, recreational league I play in is a part of my life. And we, have this, we have this tendency towards segmentation or towards fracturing, but the fracturing is part of the chaos, okay? It's part of the chaos of this world. You see, we... As, as workers who acknowledge Christ, acknowledge the fact that he's taking all that chaos and making order of it, and we are too. When we start to put it back together, we realize something is true. The lie that we're told is that somehow I separate my work life from the rest of my life. I separate all of those different... My parenting is separate from the rest of my life. That my behavior, when it's, it's Thursday night bowling league or, or, or Wednesday night book club, that that behavior is separate from the rest of my life. But you see, all of creation falls under this mandate. Every role that I fill, everywhere that I go, every task that I have in front of me is the task of forming and filling in the light. Everything. And and so it means that all of my work, there's no such thing as as certain jobs that are more spiritual than others because because someone earns a paycheck that, that is the work of the gospel in the church. It doesn't mean that their work is somehow inherently more spiritual or more righteous than the person who does something that, that, that's in the marketplace. All work, all of it, falls under this mandate to form and fill, and all of it reflects God's character. So we have to get away from this this positioning of certain jobs as more important. God needs the 16-year-old kid at the cookie shop. It may not seem important. And it may be a temporary station that God put him in. But even in that, he's reflecting God's character in the forming and the filling. All of it. And the last thing we can pick up here is that when we work, our work provides the means of God's common grace for others who also bear his image. So catch this. This is the thing. Um, that's a, it's, a, it's got some theological words in there. But, but just understand this. You're not the only image bearer in the world. In fact, look around. There are hundreds of image bearers in this room. And when you, you leave here and you're in your car and you're in traffic, every one of those people in those cars next to you, they bear God's image as well. You see, God established this system for a purpose. He didn't say, this would be fun to see what happens if I give them jobs. He said, I want to do good in the world and you're the ones who are going to do it. And you're going to do it through your forming and filling. You see, when you... Let me go back to the 16-year-old kid. When the 16-year-old kid serves someone, he's serving an image bearer of God. This is the way God, God set up the world. This is how we love God. It's by loving our neighbor. This is how we serve God. It's by serving our neighbor because God's image is in our neighbor. So when in Genesis chapter 1, when it tells us, when it tells us that God said, let us make man in our image, and humanity is made in God's image, 
And the work that we're given, the work is to continue those conditions of flourishing, of swarming that are laid out in Genesis chapter 1. Go fill what is empty. Do it. Go engage the chaos and make order of it. And when you do, you are God's hands in the world around you. When you do it in the light, when we do it in the light, when we do it in harmony with who he is, by faith, trusting that this work is his work, that he's given to us for the purpose of the, the, the good of my neighbor. I'm now continuing the work of God in my labor. And this is the system. But what am I supposed to do? <laughs> okay? What are we supposed to do with this? It's a nice idea. Okay? It's a nice idea. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't think that it's what the Bible's teaching, right? So I, it's true. But what am I supposed to do with it? And I've got to be honest with you in prepping for this. This is the hardest question for me to answer. Because there's no, there is no step one, step two, step three, and congratulations, now you've got this stuff right. And I apologize for bringing C.S. Lewis into the conversation, but, you know, we've done the Bible and now we do Lewis. And it's, he said this, before I became a Christian, this is in a, a sermon he gave called Learning in Wartime, he was asking the question, why should, well, this is during World War II, and, and he's got young men, and the question in front of them was, why should you be here studying in college when other men are off dying for their country? And he said, before I became a Christian, this is one piece of a long thought, before I became a Christian, I do not think I fully realized that one's life after conversion would inevitably consist in doing most of the same things one had been doing before. One hopes in a new spirit, but still the same things. What Lewis is trying to say is this. The life of the Christian, prior to meeting Christ, the stuff that we do, it probably doesn't change drastically. You still get up in the morning and you've got kids to get ready for school. You still get in your car and head to work. You still sit in that office where the person outside the door whose voice you hear all day is going to drive you crazy. You still do those things. You see, being a Christian doesn't change the dynamic of our work. You're still going to work. It's a part of life. You were created for it. But what Lewis is saying is this. It's not that I change the what I do, but it's I change why I do it. And probably how I do it. Do I make decisions differently in my workplace because... I understand that my work is inherently forming and filling in the light. Do I consider that person who makes my job more difficult an image bearer of God's and that my work is intended inherently to help them flourish? It's not about me. It's not about getting the, the, the check so I can sustain my life. The belief that money sustains our life is it, it's, it is eating us up. It's rotting us from the inside. It's not money that sustains life. It is God who sustains life. Our work, our work is a God-ordained task 
And I guess all I'm asking us to do with this right now is to take that seriously. You're going to be in, before, before the end of the day, you're going to find yourself in work. Again, it may not be your job, but you're going to find yourself in work. And if somehow you manage today to completely avoid work, God bless you, okay? But by tomorrow, you're going to be in it. You're going to have things to do. And when you begin, when you're at the outset of it, for right now, what are we supposed to do? Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Pause. And ask God to show you, how am I reflecting your image today in this? How is my schoolwork a reflection of the forming and the filling that God created me to do? How are the patients that I care for, the people in my care, how am I reflecting the forming and filling that God designed for me to do? How are the customers that I'm selling to, how are they flourishing because I have something to provide to them? I have a need they have a need that I can fill. Stop and work in the light rather than wander in the darkness and work as if God isn't real. And so we accept the truth that work is deeply tied to our character. Don't believe the lie, the, the just lie. I'm just, that's just my job. It's not. You are you in the midst of your work. And God created you to do it. And do it in the light. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for, thank you for your word, and I thank you that you, um, you've tasked us with your work. That, um, that your system doesn't force us to, to do anything short of acknowledge you or not. And so, God, I am asking today that as we reflect on this, that your, um, that your Spirit would speak into our hearts and into our minds and would remind us of the holiness of the task that you've given us, the, the jobs, the vocations that you have placed in our path. That, God, we wouldn't see those around us as obstacles to some sort of outcome that we desire but rather, God, we would see them as our neighbor, as, as those that bear your image, as the one another's that you, you speak to us about. So God, we, we do thank you. We thank you that, um, that you've given us life and your word and one another and your spirit to, to provide us with the eyes to see it all. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.